How does a classic lose its throne? My name's Jonathan, and this is The Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about games as they'd like to know. This week, we're shining the game spotlight on a game that spent many years at number one on BoardGameGeek's top games list, but has since fallen on hard times. Welcome back to The Snakes Cast. Joining me this week, Steve Tassie. Hello there. And David Kingsmill. Hello. The game we're talking about this week is 2002's Puerto Rico by Andreas Seyfarth. Now, a lot of people in our audience have never heard of this game, but through most of the audience, it was seemingly untouchable in its number one spot on that big list at BGG. Top five games hardly ever budged for years. Now it's down to number six, and even the game that dethroned it has since been dethroned. So what was it about Puerto Rico that made it such a big deal back in the day? Well, uh, aside from it being just an awesome game. Uh, okay, can we be more specifically? Um, <laughs> it, uh, I think it was a Euro game um, that tapped into a lot of the appeal of what Euro games offer. Uh, and that is uh, different paths to victory, as well as um, it is intricate without being complicated um if that makes any sense to uh you guys at the table and the Mm -hmm. listeners um and it of course is the uh essentially the birthplace of the role selection mechanic we'll talk about role selection in a bit uh puerto rico importantly also provides its players with a lot of control over their fate. There's very, very little luck in this game, yeah. and that was very much in Almost none. Almost at, none. Almost none. At, at the time, that was the fashion in European-style games. David, have you played Puerto Rico? I've not. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that's a, a source of slight embarrassment. Was it, uh, was, it, is this I a believe it's a black spot on your soul, Yes, sir. Steve, we know what you think. <laughs> is, was this a conscious decision? Or no, not in the slightest. Quite... I just never got it to the table. The groups that I tend to game with outside of the cafe are... Uh, not massive Euro groups on the whole. Mm. Um, and so it's just, it's never hit the table for me. Okay. Uh, do you still play Puerto Rico, Steve? Yes, I do. I just played it a couple of weeks ago. How do you feel that it holds up? Well, um, I still enjoy it. Um, it is understandable, though, uh, that other people think that some of what it does uh, has been improved upon by more modern games, and uh, they may find their, themselves playing substitutes instead. But I, I like what it does. Um, I like the fact that even though it's a meteor Euro game, you can win the first time you play. Um, <laughs> I won for yourself, man. I won the very first time I played the game. How? Um, Were you playing I, against other total newbies or nope, something? What? Nope. I was playing by the, the guys at the game store who introduced me to the game. I had to play that game four times before I even began to get a sense. Like, I sort of kind of knew what I was doing. Um, and the last game of it that I played, uh, we had uh, me and Dan, who have both mm-hmm. played the game a number of times. Our friend Andy, who has played it once or twice, and we had Chelsea, a complete beginner to the game. She won. Oh, hmm. maybe there's hope for you yet, David. I mean, Possibly. maybe maybe it means <laughs> that I'm just terrible at Puerto Rico, but um, I think part of part of the game that I love so much is how timing is so crucial 
Mm. If you can do something at the exact right moment that not only are you capitalizing on the benefit of being the person who selected that role, because in Puerto Rico, if you are the person who said, I'm going to be the whatever it is, sure. builder or settler or mayor, you get an extra benefit from being that role. Everyone else still gets to do the role, but you get it better. Okay. But if, if you can also do it at the exact right time that you benefit from taking the action at all and everyone else is like, oh, I, I guess I can't sell that thing or I don't have anything to ship, whatever it is. Mm. Timing is crucial in the game. Let's take a step back and have a closer look at Puerto Rico's signature mechanic, this role selection. Okay, role selection. Puerto Rico allows you to do a number of different things. There are these different roles that are in the middle of the table, as Steve was mentioning. Builder, settler, uh, mayor, and so on. Each of them allows you to do a particular thing. But when you take a role, everybody, including you, gets to do that role's thing. But you get to do it a little better than they do. Then the next person is going to grab one of the remaining roles. Everybody does that, but they do it better. Next person grabs one, everybody does that, but they do it better. By the time we get around to finishing all this, there are always going to be three roles left that weren't taken. We take some money, but... One coin on each of those three, put everything back in the middle, and then the next player picks first. And if you take a roll that has money sitting on it and money can accumulate turn after turn, then you just get free money, which is super useful in Puerto Rico, especially in the early game. And what this roll selection mechanic does is creates this wonderful sense of flow where the game's constantly moving. You're doing little actions here, there, and, 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 and the, the, your actions are related to what the other players are picking, and slowly the choices get reduced until you have... It's, it's just really, really smooth, smooth sort of design. And I don't think there was any, really anything to compare it to. At that time, was there anything that had anything like, even vaguely like that, back in uh, 2002? Uh, not that I can think of. Uh, so, I mean, so it was someone, novel. someone out there listening might be like, "Oh, well, you've forgotten <laughs> about you know 1989's blah blah blah." And you know, if so, tweet it at please do the Snakes Cast. Uh, it's it's at Snakes Cast yep. at Snakes Cast. That's the one. Um, and and let us know about it. But I can't think of one. And so, so the novelty. Yeah. Uh, this role selection mechanic definitely had a big part in uh, in this game's appeal and why it got so big so suddenly at the time, at least within that particular rarefied circle of heavy-duty Euro game players. Um, so let's zoom out again, talk a little bit more about the game itself. What's Puerto Rico about? Well, you are governors of the island of Puerto Rico, and you are you're more than just you know, civic-minded politicians, you are industrialists. You are trying to capitalize on the uh, workers and resources uh, of the island uh, in order to uh, make money and really earn victory points, uh, which can come in a variety of ways. There's lots of sources of victory points. It's not quite a point salad game, but it's close. I guess sort of a precursor, because yeah. uh, there, there were really three ways to score. You could make buildings... Yeah. You could ship goods back to the old world, and you could get, you can get bonus points for these giant buildings that you could get. Uh, this is interesting, because listening to this as someone who doesn't know the game, uh, we were just talking last week about Catan. And Catan is about you uh, exploiting the resources on an island to get the most victory points <laughs> in three different ways. Now, obviously, the mechanics of this game are very different, but if I'm a Catan player and I pick up Puerto Rico, am I going to have a good time with it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Unless, of course, the only thing that you really enjoyed about Settlers was the uh, the negotiation, the wheeling and dealing. Right. Because where, where Settlers is all about interacting with the other players 
uh, you know, talking and negotiating. Puerto Rico has absolutely none of that. Right. Um, Settlers in some ways was uh, more the sort of the earlier 1990s school of Euro games, which were more interactive. Mm. And Puerto Rico is much more the Audis school of Euro games, where that was considered to be sort of unfair because it meant that weaker players could gang up on stronger players and the best player wouldn't necessarily win. Uh, although, you know, to hear Steve's stories, apparently it's not necessarily. Thing. But um, still, PR was very much emblematic of that uh, idea of skill being right. the ascendant element in Euro games, of that being the determining factor in who's going to win and who's going to lose. Um, one of the other things that, uh, that was kind of neat about Puerto Rico is that if you commit early to a shipping strategy or a building strategy, you can wind up doing it better because there's all these things you can get that help you do those things better. Mm. Advancement is good. I like that. One of the things that I like about it is that there aren't enough of all the buildings that everyone can get. Them. Right. Like the small marketplace, uh, yeah. which gives you that extra super handy one extra coin every time you make a sale. Well, guess what? There's two of you. There's two of them. Yeah. In, in fact, that's that unless you're playing with a really small player count. Yeah. Um, it's a matter of there aren't enough buildings for most of the people to yep. have a particular building. So, you know, only two out of the five playing are going to get the office or the harbor or the market. Uh, and so you, it, all the buildings do different things to the game and knowing what they do and how to use them and how to make them synergize with the other buildings that you have purchased is one of the things that makes a good player uh, out of the game. You, you need to know what the buildings do and how to capitalize on them properly. Um, but just play the game. The first time you play, my advice to everyone <laughs> anywhere is don't worry about winning. Yes, it might happen. Um, but really, your very first game of Puerto Rico is going to be there to get you to understand all the bits of Puerto Rico, and you will immediately either never want to play it again, because <laughs> it's just not your cup of tea, or the moment the game is over, your brain will be racing with, oh, wait, no, next time I definitely want to get this mm. building and that building, because they work together so well. And you were talking about very small player counts and also five people. Is it what is the player count? Three to five. Three to five. Yeah. Okay. And is it is it good with all three? Because there's there's a big thing, right? You don't you don't want to play Catan with two, as we were saying, even yeah. though the game doesn't technically allow you to. But is this good with all three? Uh yes. Uh I I have enjoyed it at all the player counts. I mean, I think three is probably its its weakest. Um, right. but uh, I four players and five players I'd say yeah. are both equally that's good because that's one of those things is five players is sometimes a tricky number to work out so mm -hmm. maybe there's something useful is there's a, there's a good game for five people mm -hmm. uh, my advice to new players by the way is don't take the craftsman just don't you think you want it you don't <laughs> you think you want the craftsman it's so tempting it's shiny it gives you an extra barrel of whatever you're trying to make don't just don't it's a trap let someone else do the work it's a trap Now let's talk cultural impact once again. Does it have the same cultural and industry impact as games like Catan or Ticket to Ride? It's certainly fed into some stuff, because even though I'm sitting here having never played Puerto Rico, I recently finally managed to get in my first game of Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition. And I'm sitting listening to you guys describing this role mechanic, and I'm going, yep, that's that's that, that's in that. So th there's obviously things that have picked up from it and run with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, uh, you know, that's one of the big impacts that it could have is it if, if you if it feeds something that evolves into other games, that's very important because it's putting in another method of doing something. And variety is what I think is allowing the game industry to be as massive as it is today. 
the game itself doesn't have the same cultural um, cachet or relevance as Catan did, Ticket to Ride, Dominion, uh, and and so forth. But in the industry, as David's saying, in the industry, it has a huge amount of pull, I believe. Um, so, you know, people who know games know Puerto Rico. Uh, and Puerto Rico, uh, the same designer, made a follow-up game, San Juan, which is good for two to four players. It is the same thematic game, but very mechanically different. It's also known as Puerto Rico, the card game. Yeah. And then San Juan, its mechanics became essentially Race for the Galaxy, which is a science fiction-themed mm. game. And the guy who designed Race for the Galaxy then went on to also create Roll for the Galaxy, a dice-based game based on Race for the Galaxy, which is based on San Juan, <laughs> which is based on Puerto Rico. So uh, it definitely does not... Uh, it has not faded away, um, even though it's not in the public eye. Although... Its impact is, I mean, okay, it's, it sounds impressive when you talk about it this way. Twilight Imperium, San Juan, Race for the Galaxy, Roll for the Galaxy. That's four titles in 14 years that picked up on role selection as a mechanic. You compare that to the legions of worker placement games out there that picked up the baton from Kalos and Agricola. You look at the dozens upon dozens of deck building games that took up Dominion's idea of doing that. And there's really no comparison. It's almost enough to make it look as though role selection is kind of a design dead end. And yet, the thing I think one thing that is worth mentioning, and yeah, sure, the numbers might be different, but the four games that you've just mentioned, or have just been mentioned, are all have a very hardcore following. Mm. In a way... Now, Dominion has a hardcore following, and so do some of the deck builders. But interestingly, I think the hardcore following is of Dominion. Whereas it seems to me from the people that I've spoken to, and I mean, I, you know, that's a very, very small sample size, but it seems to me that the successors of Puerto Rico have the hardcore followings Mm -hmm. rather than Puerto Rico itself. And I wonder if there's a thing there that, yes, its cultural impact isn't as big in the sense of it's not still around necessarily in the public eye itself, but some of the games that it has spawned very much are. Maybe and the, there are more role selection games out there, but not all of them use role selection in exactly the mm-hmm. same way. I mean, there's Citadels, for example, is sure. another role selection game. It doesn't have the, oh, hey, we put money on things that we ignored. And it doesn't elements. have the, I took this so we all get to do yeah. this. Um, and then there's, there's take that money up the stuff that's disused, that portion is Small World. That's true. Right? So, I mean, little pieces of it are all over the place. Its DNA has gotten out. I do Just also, in a more diffuse sort of way. Yeah. I do also wonder how... You know, it must be a tricky mechanic to balance as well. Um, thinking with my game design hat on for a moment, but, you know, I was playing Twilight Imperium 3, and you've got there's the power that allows you to research a technology for free and then research an additional one for paying this, and everyone else gets to research one. But if you play it right at the end of your turn, no one else has any money left. So you get a free technology and no one gets anything, and bam, you've just got a a freebie, which I think is what you were talking about with Puerto Rico, about how do you know when to do something. Taking the builder when you know that nobody else has any money to build anything. Right. Taking the, uh, the, the, the trader when nobody else has any goods to sell. 
And I wonder, I look at that and I go, well, I've played Sunrise City and in Sunrise City you're taking three rolls and you play one each turn and it affects how you play the game that turn. But it's there, it's very much just making sure that one player's advantage is sort of within the balance and that all the rolls have, you know, are not, there's no one overpowered. But when you're, everyone is doing something and one person's getting to do this super powered version of whatever it is, I feel like that's introducing a new level of balancing. So I'm just spitballing here, but maybe that's a very challenging thing to actually work with. And balance is essential when you're talking mm-hmm. about a game whose appeal is to the players who want skill to be the absolute deciding factor. As and especially something with no luck, too, because mm-hmm. luck can often sort of negate a little bit of balance issues. But, you know, in a game, if you look at something, this sort of sounds almost like there's a chess-like element to it of how Having very much a, right up to having you to can memorize play those a, openings, yeah. and having scripted sort of starts. Like, okay, you always begin by taking the settler into quarry. And if your bishops could move like queens all the time, yeah. that game dies immediately. So, I, I, yeah, as I say, it's a guess. All right, that's all for this week. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on the show, tweet it to us at SnakesCast or post it on the Snakes and Lattes Facebook page. Steve, David, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. The SnakesCast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. Opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it and not the company behind it. Thanks for listening. Game on.